I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best life. I'm Michelle Scharf. And I'm Jenny Taylor. And Michelle, today we are back with Maurice. Can you believe how long it's been since we first talked with her at the beginning of this show? One of our first episodes. But also one of our most popular. Definitely one of our most popular. And Maurice, we're excited to have you here and kind of follow up. For those of our listeners who maybe haven't heard your full story, which I highly recommend they go back and find that episode, we will link it in the show notes. But Maurice, can you give us maybe a summary of the story you shared with us about you and your life and your marriage and everything with Curtis? We were high school sweethearts. We've known each other since we were 17. I got married really young, had our first baby. Curtis was 19 and I was 20. Uh, We just started out really, really young, which was probably a good thing because we ended up not having our whole lifetime to spend with each other. So I'm glad we did do those things really young. But uh, he had been a nine years in a row, the Golden Gloves boxing champion from the time he was nine. And um, he got to travel around the world with the Canadian Olympic boxing team. We, We are from Canada and we had a good life, you know, ups and downs. He was a hard worker. He started his own construction business that kept us busy for many, many years. We built and sold homes. We bought a bunch of land when we were first married and built homes, lived in them for a couple of years, and then put them up for sale. That was really fun and exciting. But when he was about 37, he started to deteriorate mentally. We knew something was wrong. We didn't know what it was, and it just escalated, got worse and worse. He became very violent paranoid and eventually took his own life at the age of 40 with um, me having to deal with that and four children that were shocked and had been struggling for I was able to hide it for a couple of years but the last year of his life was very traumatic for everybody and just our journey dealing with that and the healing that has come about and the love of our community and people helping us and I mean, that's it in a nutshell. That is impressive that you you wrapped that up so beautifully. Maurice, what I love so much about your willingness to share is is you've been really willing to open your heart. And your episode to this day is is one of our most listened to episodes of all the, I think we're close to 80 or more episodes on this podcast. And you've really kind of set the stage for what it is to be vulnerable in order to be resilient. So I wanted to ask you a couple of questions now that we're after the fact. People have listened to this story. Can you tell us kind of behind the scenes, 
What was it like for you to be a guest on our podcast? Had you done anything like that before? And what was that experience like for you? I hadn't really done anything like the podcast. I had been asked about a year after Kurt's death to kind of highlight our family in the movie Head Game. And so I had to give some information for that. So, you know, it didn't seem like it was that big of a deal. But I will admit, after I did the podcast and got home, I felt sick to my stomach. Like, what have I done? I've shared, you know, really, really personal information. I hope my kids aren't going to be upset. Like, And then the podcast aired. And then the messages started coming in and the phone calls and... And it was it was a really emotional time for me. The reason I I did it was hoping that I could help even just one family if they were going through it. And to find out afterwards that there are many, many, many families going through not not exactly the same story. Some are very similar, but that are going through problems. And I was just surprised at how many people I knew how it helped empowered them. I came to feel very thankful that I did it. And even now, thinking back and just, you know, I've just gone back and re-looked at some of the messages and things that I received. And I am so thankful that I that I chose to do that. Well, and I think that's exactly what Michelle and I wanted to start this podcast for. When she first approached me, hey, we should we should have a podcast. It was basically, let's have a podcast about the fact that everyone's going through something. And how mm-hmm. can we help each other through Whatever it is, I love what you said. Not everyone's situation matches exactly. I mean, yours is a very specific story, and you shared so many of those personal details. We're probably not going to find someone who's exact, exact, exact through the whole story, but you find the parallel, the parallel of a life that started beautifully, a life that had its ups and downs that are normal, a life that then took some turns that were completely unanticipated and, and kind of out of control. And then this huge tragic event that left you to pick up the pieces. I think if that's the base of the story, that's a lot of people's story, right? We all have that story. And can you share with us what some of those messages said, you know, without divulging anyone's name or personal information, what were some of the messages you received after being a guest on our podcast? The one that surprised me the most probably was family that was writing to me, like my husband's aunts and uncles, but they never heard the whole story. All they knew was that Kurt had killed himself and nothing else had ever been shared with them. And I, I'd always assumed that someone in the family had told them the details and they were writing and telling me they had no idea. And an aunt that I think I had shared on the podcast that Curtis had left to go visit his grandmother. You did. You told us that. yeah, but to hear the other side of it afterwards, I got to hear the things that he said to them that oh, he had made wow. the he had made the eight hour trip in four hours, which oh I didn't gosh. know. And when he left, he said goodbye to them and and said that he was planning on driving that same speed home again with the intent of not making it home. Oh my goodness! And yeah, I had I had never heard things like that. So you know, people were writing in and telling me experiences that they had had with him during that time that I knew nothing about. And that helped me to see it from his perspective a little more and to realize the pain that he had been in that I didn't realize the extent of it. That's powerful. I hadn't even thought of how this might 
help you get more of the story. Like, obviously, the rest of us are hearing your story. And as you pointed out, even family members might not have the whole story. Family who attended the funeral don't know the whole story. And yet, neither did you in terms of his. Sure. This is so interesting. So my daughter, who's 16 now, she was about 13 when my husband died. She was recently asked to share her story of what it was like to learn of her father's death. You know, not not a ton of detail, but kind of like, what do you remember? And, and walk us through what that was like. And she backed up to a few months before. And I learned things from her telling the story. She mentions that, you know, she had been worried that something was going to go wrong. She had this feeling he was never going to come home. And we never talked about that. She never mentioned that. I, I never experienced that. I was positive he was coming home. But then what caught my attention the most, Maurice, was that as she began telling the story of the day he died and the immediate aftermath and what happened, she had half the details totally wrong. Totally wrong. She doesn't know. She doesn't know the whole story. She's pieced it together probably from what she's heard or more likely overheard. Because I don't know that I've sat down with my young children and said, let me walk you through those last few days days and hours and weeks because they lived it with me. I figured they knew or experienced it. But just as you could have family members who knew and loved Curtis that had no idea what the backstory was, they only know he took his own life. There's so much for all of us to gain, even within our close circles and our families, when we're willing to really open up and share the story. And I appreciate you demonstrating just that. And I'm, I'm grateful to know that it has given you insight into his pain. We know he caused you a lot of pain and left a lot of broken pieces, but there's room for the compassion toward how much he struggled and how hard that would be not to ever excuse the behavior, but to try to understand and be empathetic. And I think you have beautifully illustrated that through your whole story. I I haven't once heard condemnation from you or judgment or, or hatred, even in the mix of all of the hurt but just how difficult it is when someone struggles this way to the point that they would want to end their own life. It's so much more complicated than a headline makes it sound. Yes, definitely. And I have had struggles with those feelings of anger. I mean, that is a part of mourning. I just haven't, I've tried not to focus on that because I could easily get lost in that. Sure. And I love that you acknowledge that you felt it, but you're not going to fertilize it or, you know, not give that the time and the attention. And Maurice, that is so perfect because I think that's one of the main components of what we see in you as this powerful resilience. Resilience isn't pretending everything's fine and that you're never angry or hurt or worried or upset. Resilience is recognizing all of those emotions, even the dark, heavy ones, and choosing to overcome them and choosing to put them in their place Feel them when you need to address them. Do not sweep them under the rug. That is not resilience. But can you, can you tell us, I would love to know, we asked you on the episode months and months ago, what does resilience mean to you? Can you answer that question now? I'd love to know how maybe your definition of resilience has changed after your experience, not just with sharing your story, but the response to your story. Can you tell us a little of your, your concept of resilience? Probably the thing that has shocked me the most is I've realized resilience is not just me, but it's it's how I've handled the trials. And just because I had that one trial, I've realized my trials are not over. They are constantly, life just changes. It's never the way you thought it was going to be when you were starting out and how I handle it. But resilience is 
it's me, it's my family, it's my community, it's the people I let in, it's how we all love and support each other. It's not just one person, it's what I lean on, it's my faith. I actually had a lady that grew up in the same Canadian town that I did, and she now lives in Salt Lake. And she wrote me a message, and she said that she is a um, a mental health counselor. Uh-huh. And she said, we sometimes feel so incredibly alone, and yet we are not alone. And wow. that has just stuck in my mind because being resilient to me, I've learned, is not doing it alone. It is relying on the strength of other people to help you handle things in the best way you possibly can. That that actually is what resiliency is. It's being able to call around your support people around you, being able to say, this is what happened, being able to confront the thing that happened and being able to have support around you. That is part of the skills of resiliency, the tools of becoming stronger and being able to endure these hard things. When people are unable to say, I need help, that is when those people often get in a hard situation, much like probably, although Curtis had mental stuff on top of all of it, that's the scary place where people can get. Yeah. And I love what you've said And I don't know if you even caught it, but I caught it and I wrote it down. So we're talking about how you can't be resilient in isolation. You've got to have people to support you and love and care and and be part of this journey. But you said people you have let in to your life. Mm -hmm. And that's that I think is the key. It is. Let's take a quick break and come back and let's talk about that a little bit. What is it like to let people in your life? What does that take? What does that involve? And we'll be right back. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. So, Maurice, let's hear about what that's like to let others in our life. How do you let others support you? Well, for me, it was really, really difficult. It almost felt like weakness. And I didn't have to ask for help. Just letting people in means you're asking for help. You can't do it all by yourself. And I also didn't want to make Kurt's decision, his taking his own life. I didn't want to have that effect anybody else I didn't want to put anybody else because of that I was it was I don't know if embarrassing was is the best word but that's how I felt I felt you know embarrassed I didn't want to let it have to have anybody else help me but once I realized people needed to help and I once I felt it like the day after he passed away my kids and I weren't sleeping in the house yet we waited I don't know at least five days before we were able to come back but I would come back and pick up clothes and things for everybody. And the feeling of love in my home was so intense. And I realized it was because people were coming in and cleaning and 
bringing food and leaving it in the house for us. And there was just so many people doing service and giving service and praying for our family that it was palpable in my home. And the more I let people in and let them serve me, do the things that, because everyone wants to help. Everyone is praying to be able to help, but we just don't know how to help in any situation. We all want to do something, but we don't know what. And so by letting people help. I think that that's the hard thing. You know, when you're on the other end of it, when you're the widow, when you're the one grieving, people will say, what can I do to help? That question is so daunting for the one who is really desperately in need of help. I know that I found it challenging. I can't answer that question. Yeah, I found it challenging. Like, I can't open my mouth. And even if I could see what needed to be done, the energy to speak the words just felt too heavy. You know, one thing that I found was so helpful with people who in that situation, Maurice, it sounds beautiful. I love that you had so many people love you and help with some of those day-to-day tasks and just being there for your family. There were a few people in our experience who who would give me a choice. Would it be more helpful if I came and did the dishes or do you want me to run to the store for you? Well, now I can choose. I can make a simple choice. But if you just say, what do you need? Right. Everything it feels it's hard. too much. Yeah. The, the littlest things are too much. And it sounds like we've kind of all shared the difficulty of letting people help. That sounds so selfish to say, oh, I will let you help me. But it's not that. It's a beautiful vulnerability where we let down some walls and say, yes, please help me. I would really appreciate that. Yeah. I know. But even you just saying that someone was going to come in and do your dishes, my stomach just tightened. <laughs> just the thought of letting someone come I in know. to like do my dishes. It is, and I don't know if everyone feels that way, but I think most I, of us I do. Really, I, really I think most struggle. of us do. I really struggle. I really struggle and with that do. too. It's like when you feel like we you have to clean have... up the house before somebody comes over to help clean your house. Yeah. Yes. You know, I, I have to say, Jenny, you, you've been a great teacher to me on this level because I feel you like are I really have good. earned a master's degree in letting people help. Yeah. And Maurice, I think you'd agree. It's been a very beautiful process. I think it started as embarrassing. I feel like I was very ashamed. I felt very weak. I remember hot burning tears when I was trying to clean up Legos under the couch when my house flooded and the furniture had to be removed. And I was so embarrassed what was hiding under my couch. I've grown. I've grown a lot to now see the beauty of letting people help, not in a selfish, greedy way, but it's like, Maurice, what you said, people are so desperate to help when something goes wrong. I would want to help. If if I knew you in that time, in that neighborhood, in your community, I would have wanted to do your dishes, and I probably would have wanted them to be really, really, really messy so I could feel like I actually helped. But it's hard to be on that other side. I think it takes great strength. I do not see it as a weakness anymore. Some of the strongest courage I've had to have is either letting people help or asking for help because yeah. it's hard. Yeah. yeah. And we're talking about extreme situations sure. too. In all like the, the letters that were sent to me after I did this podcast, I realized that a lot of the help that I can give others is just being a friend. Like I had a friend from high school who was going through similar things. Like his stepdad was abusive and ended up taking his own life. I had no idea. And yeah. and I'm talking, I went to a small fall school. I don't sure. remember how many people were in my graduation class, but it wasn't more than 50. Small enough you knew each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I did not know he was going through this. And how much could he have used another friend? Right. But I was not aware. And so maybe, you know, it doesn't have to be just doing someone's dishes. Maybe it's being sure. aware 
of the people in our lives and the people around us. I think so. And if they're not our friend yet, making friends. I think that that's, I think that that's an important thing to talk about. You know, the statement mourn with those that mourn became just such a huge, it was a statement, but also it became a huge lesson for me after losing John. And I, I think about that a lot. And, and the most profound help was not doing dishes or mowing the lawn or fixing the sprinklers, although all of those things needed Very to get done. Yeah. The biggest thing for me was having someone being willing to sit with me and acknowledge and my pain. And just sit with you. And, and just, just sit, sit with you. me. Yeah. And allow me to ugly cry and put their arm around me. And not say anything. The most profound people. I had a boss who I had a total breakdown at work. 45 minutes. We were out at lunch and we ended up, he ended up putting me back in the car. I think he thought we were going to make it back to the office. But I had him pull over and I ended up on the side of the road on my hands and knees, just down on the ground, just sobbing and crying. And he just stood and witnessed it. Yeah, He didn't say a thing. And then when I was all done, he patted my back, brushed off my knees, sat me in the car, took me back to the office. That moment was probably the most bonding moment for me and this man. He will always, he's no longer my boss, but he, he will always be treasured in my life for that moment of truly mourning with me. And being I think, witness to my pain. And I think the deepest levels of that connection and, and that, whether it's friendship or mourning, the highs and the lows, I think it's when we allow it to be a two-way street. Right. You know, it's if you're always the one breaking right. down and being the vulnerable one and the other person's strong and robust, that becomes very unbalanced. And then right. you do start to feel weak yeah. in your vulnerability. Mm-hmm. What if we could be vulnerable together? Yeah. What if you could, mm-hmm. like, I can call my sister's one of my great SOS, like save my day people. I can call her when I'm in the darkest, 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 darkest place. And I know she's going to let me mm-hmm. vent and whatever I need to be. She's not just going to try to brush it aside. But I also know that when she's in a dark place, she's going to call me. So she's right. not going to leave it where she's the perfect hero and I'm the basket case. Right. When we take turns letting each other into our lives, I think that's the real depth of resilience when we work together. Well, and I think that that creates great bonds of sisterhood or friendship yeah. or, or whatever. And But the other point is, is like, this was my boss. Yeah. Um, Not a personal relationship. Right. This wasn't someone who was in my day. Well, I mean, he, he was in my sure. daily life. But in the professional sense. <laughs> he was sense. paying for it. Yeah. <laughs> he was paying for my presence. But to show up in that way was really profound, right? Yeah. You know, and I think that we need more people like that. I love that you've been able to receive these letters and that this person would reach out and say to you, you know, tell your story. And I think that it's true. We all could be a little bit better at being consciously aware, more involved to know what's going on. I This past week, I had a friend that I reached out to who has not been reaching back to me. And I've been very concerned about this person. And, uh, you know, sometimes we all do it, right? We all get busy with our own lives and our own priorities and And all of the things that we're all dealing with. And it seems like right now, every one of us is dealing with just a lot, no matter who you are. Mm -hmm. And, and so we can all do a little bit better by being a little bit kinder 
we can all do a little bit better by being a little bit more patient and by maybe not always just assuming that we know what's going on with another person. But really take the time to become aware. Yeah, take the time to become aware and say, I don't really know what this person's dealing with right now and maybe I need to give a little grace right now. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, Maurice, we're back. I would love to know, how are you? How are you now? Um, I I know you've got a beautiful new path you're on in your life after this tragedy. How are you doing? Can you just maybe give us an update on you and your world in the middle of all this pandemic and everything else going on? We'd love an update on how you're doing. <laughs> I Life is life. <laughs> it That's is, a really honest answer. It's, it's, yep. <laughs> it's a new adventure. I feel like we could do podcasts on at least two things that have been eye-opening for oh, me. Oh, good. There's Tell us whole, and we'll schedule oh, them. Yeah. The whole, You're the in. Whole second yeah. marriage thing. That's like... Okay. Hello. Okay. Well, That's... we really want to have that <laughs> how, podcast. How I long need have to have been, this podcast. How long have you been remarried now? <laughs> we will have our... 10-year anniversary in October, which blows my mind how fast that yeah. has gone by. Okay, what's the second one you said? This, this, The whole remarriage and, thing? And the and second the... one, oh, please forgive me. I love my daughter-in-laws, but oh my goodness, no one talks about this, how hard it is when your kids get, remar- get married <laughs> and you're inviting uh, other children into your home that have been raised in other homes and the instant love that you feel, all of that good stuff, but how difficult it is to welcome. Not welcome. I'm saying this completely wrong. No. Let's hope your is, kids aren't listening. It is, <laughs> it, it, is, it is a hard thing. And not just, you know, I have wonderful daughter-in-laws. I have wonderful son-in-laws. They're wonderful. But it is, changes the dynamics of your family. And I feel like no one has ever talked to. And when I talk to other people, you know, my age that are going through the same thing or people that are older that go, oh, yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> well, that's interesting. Well, I'll tell you why we don't talk about it. <laughs> we don't talk we about don't talk it. talk about because... Bruno? <laughs> we don't talk about it because we get in trouble, right? <laughs> if we say, well, this person came in and they have this baggage or they have these ways of doing things that aren't our family system and it makes us uncomfortable, then they leave feeling bad when they hear about it. So that's <laughs> why I we like... don't talk about it. However, Maurice, I have a group I'm putting together next month. Of women who we are coming together to have this conversation privately. Privately. So off the air. You. <laughs> okay, but here's what I do love. And let's take a moment for a second because we, as a culture, can be really hard on mother-in-laws. Mothers-in-law? Mothers-in-law. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's all the mother-in-law jokes and there's, oh, my mother-in-law. I don't know how often I thought, well, what about the daughter-in-law? What if I'm the one messing up the family dynamic and not necessarily in a bad way. Maurice, I appreciate what you said. You calling this challenging does not have anything disparaging to say about who your sons have married. But I'll tell you now as a widowed daughter-in-law, Michelle, we've both talked about Mm -hmm. this quite a bit. I think I'm a little hypersensitive to what kind of daughter-in-law am I uh, with my husband no longer in the picture and Mm -hmm. what kind of relationship Mm -hmm. do you have? So I think the in-law relationships go up and down, side to side, multi-generations, even after somebody's 
divorced or dead. Like it, yep. it is complicated, but I think Maurice is onto something. Traditionally in our culture, when things are uncomfortable or complicated, we just don't talk about them. We don't. When maybe in reality, we should get a little more comfortable and kind in talking about them. Because mm-hmm. you can say this changed the dynamic of my family without attacking or yeah. without it having to be a negative, but just saying we're we're trying hopefully to have some give and take. But My father-in-law I, used to always call me the outlaw. Oh, you weren't even the in-law. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he said it as a joke, but... But it was, was not a only joke. Only so much joking. Okay, so Maurice, here we are. Tell us again, how long ago did Curtis die? How many years was all he of that? He died 11 and a half years ago. Okay, so he's died and, almost. And so it was December of 2010. I need to really clarify what I said. I said daughter-in-law's first, and I shouldn't have said that. My whole life is completely different than it was 10 and a half years ago. Yep. I live in a different country. I've been married to a different man. I now have seven children. I had four before. I have, I did not give birth to them, but they are my, I have three extra sons and three extra daughter-in-laws. And my whole life is completely, completely different. And sometimes I sit in it and I think, what has happened? Like, it's so completely different. And it is a really hard thing to deal with and the new dynamics of it and the whole thing is different. And I think it's difficult when your children get married and your family dynamics change normally. But when you're a widow and you've remarried and all the changes that our family has gone through, because my husband's family feels the same way. They lost their mother to breast cancer. Oh, and wow. their dad got married a year and a half later. And they've got four new siblings. And, you know, they're all struggling with the same things that we are struggling and. It's a whole new world. It's complicated to it think. It is complicated. Mm-hmm. You know, most of us, when we're telling our story, like mm-hmm. we have this one story of this one hard thing we've ever faced in our life, we know that's not the end of it. There's ongoing difficulty and ups and downs. But it's interesting, Maurice, to hear you speak of something that's almost a dozen years behind you, and yet it's still impacting you. And I, oh, yeah. How different your life looks now than you probably thought it would know for sure than you thought it would when you first met and fell in love with Curtis but I appreciate you being willing to share that because I do think there's room for a future conversation about what does it look like when you're the widow that remarries what does it look like when your children who lost a parent early on grow up and marry not to speak for them because of course we wouldn't want to speak for our children's grief but as the mother of an adult child married adult child bringing grandchildren into the world all of that still ties back to the fact that Curtis is no longer here even though you've got a, a, a new marriage and a new path and, and these three extra children and everything can be beautiful and complicated in the same breath. I think this is going to be a powerful next conversation, Maurice. We learned so much with you and our listeners love the way that you are so real. I think you have great insight to what resilience really is. And I think it's because you're willing to be raw and vulnerable with us. And that helps all of us become stronger. So thank you so much. Yeah, I love talking to you. I love running into you in our social circles. We've got to figure out a way to make it happen more often. (laughs) I'll invite you to to this ladies group lunch. So it's it's all my birthing ladies and we raised our kids together. You know, we're all breastfeeding around the tables together and we had... We've done all kinds of things together. And then we got kind of busy as our kids became teenagers and kind of went our own ways for a bit. We've been reaching out to each other and it's funny. We're like, nobody tells you 
that you need more support when your kids start to go away and get married than you did when you brought them into this world. Yes. We thought that was the hard part. This is hard. And we're all talking about it. 100%. Okay, Maurice, we're having you you come back for sure. It's not necessarily bad. It's just that total changing of the dynamics. I remember when my husband would like take one of our kids out and then the family dynamic in my house was peaceful. And, (laughs) and, And I used to think, oh, it was that kid. But then he'd take another one out a different night and I'm like, oh. It was that kid. Oh, it was that kid. And then I realized. The overall combination. I think it's just the combination of all the personalities together. And whenever you move one in or out, it just changes things. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I just think that it's the same thing. We've got new personalities coming into our lives and, and it's kind of that similar situation. So because this happened so long ago, in my mind, it had sort of turned into like, a story. This is like a story. My emotion, I'd almost become detached from the emotion uh-huh. and doing the podcast, reliving it and then reading people's comments, like all of that, it brought the emotion and the love back to me that I think I had, I had almost forgotten that part of it. Oh, that's powerful. That was, that's for, really for powerful. Me, that, that was the biggest part. Of it's not just podcast. a story. It's my story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's true, but you don't really want to own trauma in the way. And and it's true. Like our minds work like we can redeposit the stories and change the stories. So every time we Mm -hmm. revisit them, they only live with us because we retell the story. Some stories are really important to retell and other stories, maybe not so much. These kind of stories are the ones that we don't necessarily want to tell. Right. It's a really big one. It's a tragedy. It's traumatizing for other people sometimes to even hear it. But the great thing is, is being able to revisit it in a way where you are not only reminded about the tragedy itself, but the immense amount of love that was present to support you and your family. And that's powerful. And that love is still there. Yes, it is. And so many people thanked me for you know, not the experience per se, but just letting me let them in. And everyone has such sad memories of that time, but there's also these wonderful spiritual memories that accompany it. And, and that's the strength, for those. the strength in letting people in even all these years later. I yeah. think that's so beautiful. It yeah. is so beautiful. Yeah. I love that and, so and, much. Well, I was just thinking too, the being a child with a survivor child with a parent that's committed suicide makes your children 50% more likely to commit suicide that I think a lot of more attention needs to be brought to the fact of helping these kids out and that that has been another big struggle that I have dealt with with my kids is the effects it's had on them mentally and you know still to this day we struggle it's a constant thing and that that might be a really good follow-up story yeah. to help I think that that might be a good story. And we should do that with a therapist online. You know, Jenny's Mm -hmm. father committed suicide. So that is a close to home issue for Jenny. And she has family members. And it terrifies me every day as a mother. Yeah. Because anytime anything happens with any of my kids, it's not just the normal, oh, it's hard to raise kids. Like that is in the back of my mind every day with everything that happens and I tend to probably overreact but probably statistically it's founded so that right. is hard yeah right and I imagine yeah. your anxiety's got to be through the roof yeah. so when you see a mopey oh, yeah. 
disconnected teenage son who hides in his room and is playing video games or whatever, it's a whole different level of like, is this normal or should I be concerned? We'll try grown adult kids. Right. Yeah. Terrifying. You know, his... Yeah, it's it's absolutely terrifying. All right, Maurice, this has been fabulous. We cannot wait to schedule you again to our listeners. Stay tuned because we're going to have part three with Maurice and continue looking. And I think that's probably what this podcast is all about. The fact that this resilience has to be relentless. The story keeps going. There's no 45 minute episode of life. No. And we'll it's call you back growth, soon. Right? It is growth. It's about leveling up. It's about yeah. growth. It's about moving forward. Looking inside deep enough to be able yeah. to. Yeah. Yep. And that's the purpose. This is so good. Okay, to all of our listeners, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening. We hope you will find us and like us and give us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. And we really hope that you will look deep within and find a story of yours to share with us and with our listeners. You can reach us by email at rrpodcast at ksl.com. And you can find us on social media and Instagram at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast. And whatever you do today... Remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles others are dealing with in their lives. Have a great day. Take care, everybody. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless and I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson and unfortunately we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.